Welcome to Short Ends Podcast, where we discuss experimental film, underground movie making, and independent cinema. The following conversation was recorded with Laszlo Santa, a Hungarian filmmaker and professor of film at New York University's Tisch School of the Arts. So, Laszlo, I'd like to thank you for sitting down today and talking about filmmaking with me. Uh, you're welcome. It's, uh, it's fun. My pleasure. So I just finished watching a few of your films. Um, one of the ones I watched is Dog Tax from 1992. Yes. This film, it was a really crazy comedy, a really zany comedy. Um, can you kind of give a little bit of background on the film and just explain what it's about for anybody listening? Yes. Uh, this is um, a story about uh, a tax collector, but in 1990s or late 80s in Hungary, which was a, a communist uh, system at that time, uh, a soft dictatorship, and that person is collecting taxes after dogs. So <laughs> he's, he's not a, a regular tax collector, but he's a specialist. So the film is about uh, how he overzealously uh, getting better and better taxing uh, dogs and developing a special uh, skill that uh, uh, barking which <laughs> which fi finds and and uh, and attracts the hidden dogs where who the tax uh, the people who should be taxed uh, hide the dog. So uh, this is uh, the basic idea and it's uh, slowly he turns into a dog-like character <laughs> and when when the government changes the uh, the regulation that not dogs but cats are taxed yes. in the future <laughs> he, he tries to meow meaning that he tries to switch into a cat-like personality but uh, he he is not able to do so when he tries to meow he's barking yeah. and so it's a tragic story of a dog tax collector <laughs> it's a tragedy right <laughs> uh, uh you know it's it's a satirical political comedy and um uh, it's it's a sad story overall. How did you come up with this idea? This is, a dog tax collection isn't a real thing, right? It's not a real thing uh, in Hungary right now. I read something about Chinese dog tax collectors, where in China even today there are so many dogs that the government, following the complaints of the local citizens. Uh, uh, introduced uh, dog tax and uh, and they kill the dogs uh, they they collect or they 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 tax the people if uh, they want to keep I I don't know exactly so what I read an article about it and then I said so what if what if uh, there is a tax collector who is uh, who is really taking this seriously and developing this skill, 
and uh, I realized that this is a satire of uh, of the country um, which I live uh, partially me because I worked for uh, as a propagandist for the uh, the communist system mm -hmm. so it, you know it it was a uh, an Im interesting, important story for me. So then, in 1992, how did you get funding for that film? Uh, I was a member of a, a small studio when I lived in Hungary. In 1992, I lived in Los Angeles and um, dreamed uh, about to make a film in, in Hollywood and bring my uh, special stories to Hollywood. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the meantime, I submitted the script to the Hungarian studio and they gave me money. Wow, okay. So, so can we then back up a little bit? Can you tell me about growing up in Hungary, um, a little bit about your childhood there? Yes. Um, my parents were teachers. Mm -hmm. um, my family is a um, middle class family and they were... Um, uh, young communists when uh, I was born. It's 1949. And we had um, a comfortable life in, in that environment. My father was teaching. Um, and then, uh, you know, I, I don't remember any trauma. Then uh, there was a uh, uprising in 1956 uh, by the Hungarians against the Russian oppression and that uh, changed uh, my parents life and my life my mother told me that uh, before that I was a very happy and playful child mm -hmm. but then uh, the uprising uh, which took like uh, 12 days to to uh, kill by the Russians, uh, and the, all the time we were in the basement. So wow. af after the revolution, I, after the uprising, I, I turned into an, from a extrovert into an introvert. Wow! Uh, after those twelve days. Yeah, that you know determined my my life, and then uh, my father. Uh, had some conflict with uh, their own comrades, uh, the authorities. Uh, he supported the uh, revolution, so he was kicked out from the party. Uh, anyway, so it it was a a relatively normal <laughs> uh, childhood, <laughs> but my parents were very full of anxiety mm -hmm. for several reasons, and. Um, yeah. So were either of your parents interested in the arts? Not really. My father My father uh, was taken to Auschwitz in 1944 as a communist Jew. So he he was taken by the Germans as a communist, not as a Jew, but uh, you know, it there were hundreds of thousands of Jews. So he went to the camps and uh, then he returned. And I, when I asked him, I don't know, 40 years later, why did you return to a country 
which did this to you, he said, because I want to be a poet. And he wrote uh, beautiful uh, poems in the style of uh, one of the, the greatest Hungarian poets. But he was not a, a real talent, but a, a very, very accomplished copier. So that was the only art. He said, you know, that was the only connection. And of course, they, they knew history, film history, music history, art history. So, yeah. And that they were both professors at a university? No, no, they were teachers in uh, m middle school. Oh, okay. Both of them? Yeah. Oh, wow. Huh. So then where did your interest in filmmaking and art develop? I uh, went to to, uh, to let's say the best or the second best uh, high school in the country, mm -hmm. which uh, by accident was my father's Jewish high school, and uh, it you know fantastic uh, quality of education, and there was a teacher who introduced in 1965 the film aesthetics in high school and they wrote a book and he was my teacher and I I just uh, really fall in love with uh, the whole thing. Well, that's amazing. How were you watching films at this point? Was it on like on actual film at home or in theaters? Uh, uh, you know, it, there were no computers at that time. Uh, so uh, yeah, obviously theaters. And then no, not even, uh, you know, tapes or videotapes or DVDs. So it was like a long time ago. And so it, the movie theaters and in classroom in 60 millimeter versions. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, we, we watched, uh, but not on computer, not on DVDs, not on television or in, actually in television, but the Hungarian uh, state run television didn't show you know so many uh, quality films all right what was uh, hungarian filmmaking like at that time under communism uh i mean two things one um it's a small country uh, it's the size of uh, south carolina and the population of north carolina mm -hmm. but uh, but it was it had a very developed and sophisticated film industry partially because uh, the communists thought that uh, it's important propaganda partially because they wanted to you know preserve the, the Hungarian culture which is pretty unique just like mm -hmm. the language so the consequence was that um, there were relatively many like 20 films every year and uh, festivals uh, really like the Hungarian films. So uh, can we uh, Hungarians won Cannes Film Festival in 1955 and then in 1982 the first the second Oscar. So it, it was uh, highly regarded in the country. So these films that are winning these awards then these aren't communist propaganda pieces, obviously. No, no, uh, good point. No, it, the, these are human dramas, human stories with subtext, often criticizing 
the system or the living environment or the living uh, standards. So the government liked to send them to festivals because then he uh, was able to say, oh, you see, we, we are not a repressive system. We are, mm, I see. We are making these uh, critical films or interesting films. So then in some ways the films had to bury the real meaning in order to maybe get by the government censorship. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, that's kind of interesting. I, I talk about censorship in general and in, in the repressive systems in my class. And uh, we discussed that sometimes uh, repression is good for mm -hmm. for uh, the arts because it forces uh, to develop a symbolic uh, hidden language uh, which they can speak with the audience and the audience uh, really enjoys it. And mm -hmm. the censor censors cannot do anything really. So then, at this point, uh, what are you doing in film? Are you still in high school at this point? When when I'm it was uh, uh, in uh, sophomore year, I guess, in okay. high school, when uh, when this teacher um, started to teach the class film aesthetics, film appreciation, and from there, I I I was hooked. In high school, what were you doing practically uh, with film? Uh, I shot probably one eight millimeter films with uh, with my friends, uh, but otherwise uh, nothing. I was just uh, learning the the language and learning the uh, the canon. What are the good films? Why the films which are famous are are good? What how can you make these films? How can you tell the stories? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, you know, I, I just started to, to, to you know, just um, like a sponge. At that time, who were you watching? Who were some of your favorite directors? Yeah, it was 1965, 66, 67, and the European films uh, were uh, absolutely blossoming, like Ingmar Bergman from from Sweden or uh, Federico Fellini from Italy Antonioni Italian or French new wave just started like uh, Jean-Louis Godard and uh, Truffaut so these films were not in the movies but uh, there were special film clubs where we we went uh, to see and uh, there was a Hungarian, you know, uh, voiceover, not even subtitles. Oh, I see. Yeah. What were the film clubs like? Were these like uh, kind of uh, speakeasy uh, cinemas? No, the, the, the film club I had access to was uh, the film club of the professional filmmakers. For some reason, I was able to go there. Did you study um, in university in Hungary as well? After high school, I, I applied for uh, the film school, mm -hmm. and I, uh, but I didn't get in. So my father told me that uh, 
so uh, apply to law school also because that's a safe bet and that's uh, so how I applied to, to law school and I got into law school and I went to law school for three years. Oh, uh, did you get a law degree? No, no, because uh, after three years I, I was accepted in the film, graduate film school and, um, and then I went to two universities at the same time, full time, with special uh, uh, you know, from my father went to his comrades and uh, he managed to, I don't know, organize this, which was completely illegal. So I went to law school and mm -hmm. film school, and then I had to fail all my exams in law school in order to send a message to my father that, no, I don't want to be a lawyer. Uh, so he said, okay, okay, no, I understand. What was the film school like in Hungary at this time? Um, so I teach at the New York University as a film professor, film production, and film history, and producing. Mm -hmm. And when I arrived there uh, 21 years ago, uh, I realized that uh, some teachers are uh, exactly my teachers in my film school in 1971. Okay. Which means that they are hard poker face professionals, don't know how to teach, don't care about the students, and they try to break the student mm -hmm. because they think that that is the real test to get into uh, the business. That was my experience. My teachers were the best filmmakers. They had no idea how to teach. Uh, they didn't care about us. They even were afraid of us, like uh, because we were future uh, competitors, rivals. So I had uh, my self-esteem went. Uh, you know, every every month, every semester, lower and lower, and so I. That was my experience. I made films. I made decent films, which they use in the, in the education after forty years, showing to to other students. But uh, but me as an artist was uh, was slowly, systematically, unknowingly, I guess, destroyed. So I, um, that was uh, not the best time. Yeah, was th were there any redeeming qualities there, just in terms of what you learned technically about filmmaking? Absolutely, and the redeem the the biggest redeeming quality was that uh, I had a guaranteed job mm -hmm. coming mm -hmm. out from film school because it was a government controlled system, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and they needed filmmakers, and they had job for every graduate, so it was not a, a market-controlled environment. So I got a job uh, a week after graduation, mm -hmm. but my uh, education in, uh, in the, the graduate film school was, as far as I can see, so devastating that I didn't dare to talk to actors because I didn't know how and uh, we were never really taught. So I went to make documentaries. 
so I made documentaries for 15 years. Wow, that's interesting. I, you know, I think, like you said, kind of they beat the artistic side out of you in this case and everything. And yeah. Or there's, you know, not a lot of um, room for expression and all that. But it is interesting in the communist countries that there is always a job in the film industry available um, in terms of documenting culture and things like that. Yeah, documenting culture and, uh, and you know, I worked as a propagandist making uh, newsreels for movie theaters, which were like three-minute pieces, sometimes ten-minute pieces, every week. So television was not so powerful. So, uh, you know, we were a very important arm for the, the communist propaganda. So... Uh, 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 yeah, that so it was obvious to to give a job to every every film graduate. Yeah, and even though it's not that creative, I'm sure that that experience oh, yeah. no, is I mean, rewarding. I, I tried to preserve some dignity, so I I never made uh, something uh, about the headlines or about uh, the main political messages. I always stayed with cultural events. Uh, so I, with together with with other colleagues who were not communists but professionals, uh, we were able to make interesting films uh, despite the fact. But and and one, once again, I want to emphasize that Istvan Sabo, who won an Oscar, uh, Miklos Jancsó, the other uh, genius of Hungarian filmmaking. And Karl Marx, these are the the, uh, the three greatest of all. Uh, they were able to make films which me and my father's generation, we were able to enjoy and understand mm -hmm. that the artist and the intelligentsia is critical towards the system. So th there, there were the good films. And we understood the message. Yeah, yeah, wow. Now I'm thinking about, you know, you said you worked as a propagandist and everything. I w watched one of your films, Tattooed Walls, uh, in 1988. Um, when d and that, you know, has a f definitely uh, a focus on propaganda and uh, uh -huh. ad advertisements on the wall and, you know, the other side of it, uh, the graffiti and kind of the rebellion and that idea. Um, when Where did that film come from? So, um... It's not easy to understand today, but um, but maybe uh, for for Americans or for people who didn't live there. So the that communist ideology and the system is cha has changed slowly in the years and the decades, and especially in Hungary where there was this uprising revolution in 1956. So the Russians really were afraid of us, mm -hmm. that there is going to be another one. So the meaning that in 1997, no, ni 1987, 1988, when I made that film, the propaganda, the pressure of censorship was not very strong. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I wanted to make a film about Free speech, basically, free speech on the walls of uh, Budapest, which is the capital of Hungary, 
and we shot for for three weeks and we uh, were looking for uh, the graffitis of uh, or anything on the walls partially the, the the party propaganda, partially the market, so, you know, advertising and selling and concerts, and partially people who were not able to say that death to the gypsies or uh, fuck the American rockets, because there, they, there were no uh, free speech forums. So I, I treated the walls of Budapest as uh, the expression of free speech regardless of of what they say well, well, disgusting or not so i was interested in that and then i i we figured out with with my uh, uh op director of photography how to make it visually interesting because it's a very static thing right so mm -hmm. uh, right and so we we used the uh, camera speed and camera movements and so uh, that that was it, and then that film you know, went to the Berlin Film Festival because of the changing politics. They, the German uh, festival selectors, picked up because they said, "Okay, so it's kind of interesting, you know, uh, pushing the boundaries of uh, of censorship." How are you getting your films into film festivals at this point? Are you physically mailing out reels of film? Uh, yeah, actually, that, that's a good point. Uh, uh, we had access to information through the Hungarian film, professional filmmakers organization about festivals. We had specialists and uh, we submitted the film first uh, on paper and then if they selected, we, we submitted uh, the film and then they invited and I went to Berlin, it was uh, a great thing for me. And then uh, in Berlin, they selected the film for Telluride. Yeah, I saw that, wow. Yeah, which, is, which was like, oh my God, I, sh I should go there. Did, did you go? Yeah, I did, I did go because it was such a, such a big issue. I didn't know anything and we know it, that was actually the second, no, first time. No, second time to, to, to go to, to the U.S. and I never been in Colorado and I, I, I didn't know who is Roger Ebert was. Roger Ebert <laughs> was there. I was talking a little bit. To, so it was a magic experience. And uh, all uh, many of the filmmakers who I, I admire today were there and they had filmed. So it was, yeah. Well, it's amazing to be a part of that generation of filmmakers and get to meet them firsthand like that and everything. Yeah, yeah, true. So when was the first time you came to America? Uh, we, my wife, uh, who is a linguistic professor at uh, New York University Linguistics Department, got a one-year um, fellowship at uh, uh, MIT. Uh, okay. Noam Chomsky's uh, department, and uh, she was originally a, a Chomskyan and excellent and published in several. Uh, so we, uh, she was invited, and we, because I earned good money in, a, in, in film, I, uh, I 
arrived and uh, spent like two weeks in Boston at MIT and then I traveled to you know uh, Chicago San Francisco Los Angeles and New York how was it seeing New York for the first time? What was your impression? You know, I didn't know anything about the crime rate or the drugs. I, I, I tried to... Uh, all I remember that the cab drivers were all 70 years old Jewish Russian engineers, which, which was com made completely sense because the U.S. and the, and the U.N. arranged that Jews were able to leave after two, three years, orders, you know, investigations to Russia. So mm -hmm. some of them went to Israel, some of them went to the U.S. And they didn't know the language, so the best job was being a cab driver. Today, today people from Bangladesh is doing that job, but that time it were the Jewish engineers who escaped uh, the Russian anti-Semitism and the repression. That was just a, a trip you were here for a while and you went back to Hungary, right? Yeah, yeah, it was, I, I, I never thought that we are going to, you know, work here. But uh, five years later, or in 1990, uh, there was a free election in, in, in Hungary. My wife uh, was uh, very successful and ambitious and and got a job in uh, at the UCLA. So I said, okay, you are go going to teach, I'm going to make film in Hollywood. So then in California, were you working in film? Were you pitching ideas? Okay, so uh, when I got there, I am, I'm very grateful to a relatively obscure organization called the Independent Feature Project, which since then uh, it's bigger and there are two arms and I joined them, and I was member of writers, writers groups, and it was fantastic. So all independent writers, filmmakers, some of them NYU graduates, it turned out, like 20 people, and we met every week, and that helped me to develop my English and my storytelling skills. And then I went uh, to listen to lectures to UCLA, which is a fantastic film school. And I, uh, I studied uh, producing because I had no idea how the American system works. I studied film uh, writing and I had friends who later wrote script together with me. So that was uh, great. Uh, I met my first gay friend ever. So I, I, I never met, met a gay friend in Hungary, or at least it was not open. But I arrived, arrived at UCLA and there was this fantastic, great writer who is a professor at San Jose State University now. And we wrote together a script, so it was wonderful. I made films for local television and after, after uh, Doctex, I got an agent, an agent in, in a small agency, and uh, he inspired me to write new scripts, and I wrote like three together with friends. And uh, 
And then I got producers, and I got uh, another producer, and I got options. And uh, then I got a, a good old friend who unfortunately died since then, who watched Doctex and who said, what about to make an American version? I said, what a crazy idea. But OK, if you, if you want to work with me. And we worked from 1995, I guess, on an American version. But so you, you, you watch the film. It's, it's not, it was not really credible in any American environment. We tried, you know, Washington State or upstate New York. But Americans do not afraid authority in a way uh, Eastern European it's in our blood because because of the you know uh, lost wars and uh, so you know it, it was clear and finally this friend uh, John Caldwell found um, British producers and British director British actors other famous actors but uh, we never had the whole money so I made made little films documentaries local station just inter interrupt you for one second about dog tax i mean i think what you said also about how it wasn't able to be made here that film to me feels so hungarian and so eastern european and even even the the, the genre of it it's this kind of zany uh farce or something and um it reminded me of like um similar almost to feeling and have you seen the czech film daisies absolutely yeah i mean we <clears throat> excellent excellent point uh uh, I loved the, the Czechs. We watched all the films. They were, yeah, so, um, yeah. Uh, Vera Hitilova is the director of Daisies, and that, that is a, a brilliant and, and famous film. And then also in America, you said that you were studying producing um, because the system was different than what it was in yeah, Hungary. Yeah. What what is the, what was the big difference between what you found as you know producers' uh, job is here versus the Hungarian workflow? I mean, uh, at least uh, 20, 25 years ago, and my experience in Hungary, it, it, money was not very much involved in filmmaking from outside sources. It was a government subsidized system. Mm -hmm, so mm -hmm. the market, the market did not have a say. So when we made films, whether it was a fiction, fiction feature or documentary, documentary feature, it always came from the government with, uh, uh, con even today, the European system and the Hungarian system that uh, the 50 percent of the budgets coming from the government wow, or in, wow. in france in germany it's not completely government controlled but uh, the grants and uh, you know very serious organizations with uh, significant money so it's because the american movies basically control the Western uh, market since, uh, let's say, 1946. Uh, so that uh, is one reason that uh, the French, the British, the, the German, the Italians, and the Hungarians, they subsidize their films and their filmmaking. 
So for that reason, I didn't know how to raise money from, uh, you know, banks or investors. That was completely new for me. And who were you raising money for? Well, who were making these projects? Was it independent filmmakers mostly? Or you mean in, in the U.S.? In the U.S., yeah. Yeah, in the U.S., absolutely. Indie, like in the $4, four million dollar, uh, range, uh, we approached friends who had success in Hollywood and wanted to make some cheaper films, some mm -hmm. more... Uh, more uh, artistic films so that's how and then we we went to the UK and uh, then people who made excellent uh, British uh, art movies that those people were interested so yeah indie indie it was an in indie word what I knew so uh, never really Hollywood you got it yep. and were you also making your own films during this time well, what I made were mostly uh, documentaries. So because I, I didn't know how to raise money, uh, for that reason I, I, I joined uh, the local TV stations and uh, local documentary and, and, uh, and I made films there. So it was not... I was not completely in control, not to mention that, you know, it was, uh, I was a very proud uh, Eastern European with stories coming from my experience of the, the Hungarian revolution, uh, repression, my communist family, whatever. So I had had interesting stories, which I thought that I have to tell and my generation has the obligation to tell. And I had a mission in a way, but uh, no one cared in Hollywood. Okay, so the, uh, so uh, for that reason, it was especially uh, not easy to to raise money for this kind of stories. So then, how long were you in LA? Uh, eight years. Eight years, and then you went to New York. Yes, or mostly, uh, you know, I I was not very happy, despite of uh, my great friends there mm -hmm. but uh, my uh, my daughter was four years old and uh, Los Angeles is not famous about good schools so uh, we have very high standards in schools so we decided that uh, for the sake of uh, our daughter we have to move to New York and my my wife got the job at uh, NYU and I got a job teaching NYU so it was uh, it worked well I applied and, and started to teach 1998 September. Sight and Sound, if uh, uh, you remember, or uh, that is one of the most challenging class in terms of uh, logistics for the teacher. So mm -hmm, it yes. was a perfect test for any newcomer. So the, the, the chair said, okay, Sight and Sound film, this is your test whether you fear or not. And I partially, you know, I, I survived. Yeah. <laughs> well, what was a Sight and Sound like then versus, I guess I took your, your class probably in 2010. 
um, yeah. 12 years before that. Um, yeah. What, what was the sight and sound like? Was it a very different class or basically the same thing? We were still shooting on films. So. Exactly. So that's the main historical uh, um, cornerstone when digital entered into the whole education of uh, filmmaking. And when this traditional class, which we, we used uh, 16 millimeter silent films and all the German cameras from the Second World War. Uh, it was uh, phased out in 19, uh, uh, 2014 or something. Mm -hmm. So before that, it was the traditional filmmaking setup, meaning that you never knew that what is on the film. Mm -hmm. So it was like, it took like two days to get back from the lab and you were like really anxious whether the exposure was good. But for, for that reason, you were very focused on, you know, lighting and camera and focus because, uh, you know, it, was, it had the magic aspect. When the video showed up, it, it was, you know, killed that mystery and it's much more um, practical and cheaper. Right. I remember in your class, um, the film being like gold and you, you know, it set everything yeah. perfectly because you knew you had one chance and that was it. And then the viewing of the films also was a very special event um, because it was the first time you would see the film on any kind of large screen. But, you know, I think you, you would just look at it on the Steenbeck editor. Exactly. Uh, but it, w it wasn't until you premiered it in front of you and the class um, that you were really seeing it for the first time as well. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, that, that was a fantastic experience for me and for uh, uh, the class also. So, uh, yeah, the whole class is, uh, is really excellent. And even today, it's uh, the best class, probably the most popular class, uh, op opening uh, creativity for for uh, the future filmmakers so uh, I, I really like the class yeah yeah definitely by far one of the most memorable classes and everything mm -hmm, mm -hmm. um now as a teacher when you're looking at a student's film i mean in sight and sound it's a general class where everybody takes it and then kind of specifies their interest after that yeah um so you're you're getting all different types of students who are interested in all different types of filmmaking um what do you look for in a student work that makes it a good film to you? You know, uh, the, the basic storytelling skills uh, with emphasis of uh, communication to the audience. And I'm not r so much interested in technical expertise. I, I'm looking for uh, human stories Although mm -hmm. I, I appreciate and enjoy some uh, wacky, crazy experimental films, but uh, I, I like simple, simple, simple stories about, you know, mother, uh, daughter, family, and friendship and other things. And, and comedies, of course. And, um, and there is an interesting thing which is happening right now, which is connected to the the uh, radical changes in, in the society, in, in mostly in American society, but all around the world. First of all, that um, 
different cultures are are coming in and so in the class I usually have like uh, uh, 15% 20% Chinese 5% uh, Indian from India and then uh, African Americans and uh, so you know it's it's uh, it's a very lively thing and uh, what what I I discovered that um, technically the Chinese students and sometimes with on, on the language side dialogue side not very impressive but visually and story storytelling wise they are fantastic so they mm. brought into a much softer uh, storytelling style uh, less aggressive uh, more like about family so i i i'm looking for that looking mm -hmm. for that uh, um it changed because uh, probably uh, you know 10 years ago or 9 years ago when you were there it was uh, there were like uh, the class of 32 there were like 25 boys and very few girls because in the industry, it was uh, clear that it's a boys' club, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and since uh, then, it's like uh, changed completely. The whole uh, film department, undergrad film department, has fifty-five percent female uh, wow, wow. students, and that that changes the stories. So yeah. it uh, changes the, sensi the sensibility, changes the stories. Yeah, so it's fascinating. Yeah, it's amazing to have all those different people's perception and their history yeah, and yeah. everything brought into you know one room like that and see all of these films coming out of uh, exactly. such a diverse group of students. Exactly. So gender changed and the cultural background changed. And that that is... Uh, at the same time, of course, uh, you know, rom romantically, I thought that it's going to... They're going to go against the the traditional uh, story, visual storytelling norms or patterns or uh, traditions, but uh, no, they they want to learn how the mainstream American films, the best ones like Jaws and Citizen Kane and others, work, mm -hmm. and then they want to apply their own culture. Uh, with that, those uh, working rules, and sometimes they want to bring it back to their own country and make make a kind of similar film. Well, and there are certain films like that, like Citizen Kane or Jaws, or something that you know are universal in their yeah. Um, just the the, the ability of uh, the quality of filmmaking and everything like that, and um, no matter what your interest, you can learn from that and then interpret yeah. it to to your own to match your own you know, perception and personality and history and all that. Exactly, exactly. Are you making films right now or are you just teaching? I, um... Uh, I don't mean just teaching no, either. No, I no, just... no, uh, it's a, it's a good, good question. I, uh, so, Hollywood's experience when I had uh, two very kind of popular among the producers and the agents, script 
One was the American version of uh, dark test, which was called Bark. Okay. Exclamation <laughs> point Bark. And then I, I wrote another one, which uh, called Stolen Girls. Uh, and um, and I I thought that uh, these films can be made, but uh, the experience of um, the waiting game, which means that in Hollywood no one ever tells you that your script is bad. They said, oh, this is fantastic, I want to... And then they don't call back for three weeks. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But even my own agent or my producer, so it happened once or twice that the producers got the script, they, they, it took like four months to read, and then they, they called me up the next day, this is the best script, in the last 15 years I read, let's have lunch. So uh, that, that after a while, uh, it, it really was humiliation for me. Being powerless, I mean, being, having power in, on the storytelling part, but not having access to money. So teaching is very satisfying. I don't want to wait for producers, agents, or managers anymore. So I make films when it's very important for me, which I made a documentary with Sam Pollard, uh, my colleague. Yes. Mm -hmm. uh, about the the uh, how the how mo movies affect uh, people's life. Love but, that movie, right? Yeah, love that movie. So, um, but otherwise, I, I mostly write, uh, writing scripts, reading a lot of scripts, advising people on scripts, and writing my own memoir about uh, my life in Hungary and in, uh, in L.A. and in New York. Oh, wow, that's amazing. When do you think the, your memoir will be out? Uh, that, that's a good point. Uh, <laughs> uh, but, no, um, I mean, uh, you know, you, you probably don't know too much about memoirs, but, uh, but what is crucial um, not to hurt other people, at least for me. And if I want to be honest, uh, then what I'm writing, it's like not, it's ruthless. Ruthless with... Uh, with my family, my family back in Hungary, my parents, my daughter, myself, my wife, and uh, I don't want to hurt them. So despite the fact that uh, people who read um, excerpts from it, uh, they, they really encourage me to, to publish it, I'm, I'm reluctant because the best pieces are very dark mm -hmm. about, uh, you know, human nature, my problems of, uh, you know, creativity or teaching or a family life. And uh, I cannot uh, publish those pieces because uh, it would unfairly hurt uh, people close to me. So I, I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm writing. I don't know about publishing.
I want to jump back for one second. You mentioned love that movie. Um, can you just talk about that film a little bit? So I made, made the film like a 55 or 60 minutes film, a documentary about Hungarian uh, moviegoers in 1989, actually. Mm -hmm. uh, we, so it was a very simple idea. I put an ad into a paper that anyone who watched their favorite movies and can retell or reenact in front of the camera come to an audition. Mm -hmm. And 200 people showed up and it uh, turned out that uh, they know films by heart from, from the beginning to the end and they know the main character, main scenes from, you know, Pink Panther to Star Wars and uh, Dirty, thirty-seven, and so I said, "Wow!" So I gathered them in the movie theater lobby and asked them to re-enact or retell their favorite stories. And when I went to the editing room, I discovered completely illegally that I go, I should use the original footage and intercut between their reenactment or retelling and the original footage. And it turned out to be a third kind of dreamlike reality. And uh, it, you know, it was about Hungarian uh, uh, experience, so Hollywood and Hungary, that, that was the theme and how Hollywood helps people to, to leave their uh, very gray and uh, um, bitter lives. And then I, I, I moved to, to Los Angeles and I wanted to make a film about how immigrants affected, like Mexicans and, and you know, other people, um, Japanese or, or Chinese, uh, affected by uh, Hollywood story, stories. It didn't work out and then when I moved to New York I I teamed up with uh, Sam Pollard and we made an American version, a shorter kind of test version, the same way. We, uh, we advertised in the paper, or actually it was a Craigslist, and we had like uh, 150 people and uh, then we got a little money from uh, our dean at that time, mm -hmm. and uh, we, we, we made a film. And uh, it, uh, it's a 26-minute uh, short, shorter version, and uh, it's called The Love That Movie. So they, they reenact or retell their favorite movies, and I used the original footage. Any uh, films that you're looking forward to in the near future? Anything, any projects you're working on now uh, or making outside of the memoir? Uh, I'm working with, uh, with colleagues, and actually one of my former students to 2007, so even before you, uh, took my summer sight and sound class and um, uh, they found me, we, you know, we became friends and then I published one, I mean several stories from my memoir. One story was about how my father censored me to make a film 
about uh, one of my script, the script which was called uh, Stolen Girls, I, I mentioned. And, uh, and I described the story briefly in that memoir. And then these, uh, you know, people who are filmmak filmmakers, professionals, uh, said, okay, we want to read the script. So I gave them the script, it was two and a half years ago, and they said, okay, we're going to make this film. Mm -hmm. We're going to make this film in Hungary. And uh, I have them, I have many ways to try to uh, get actors like uh, Adrian Brody, who I know. And then they, they are fantastic producers. They, they know everything about how to shoot this film in Hungary for relatively cheap. And then they asked, they asked permission or they uh, bought uh, the, uh, an option agreement. They rewrote the script because there were some incest in it, mm -hmm. which uh, was always uh, the main obstacle to b the film be made. Like there, there were like four different producers in Los Angeles. Very enthusiastic, but uh, and it turned out that this is like a, a, a very a taboo topic for the American market. So this this guy said, "Okay, we're going to rewrite this." I said, "Okay, but uh, it's about the daughter and the father." Okay. Uh, anyway, so they rewrote. They solved the problem. It's not so um, taboo-like. And now we are preparing to make the film, uh, raising the money, uh, meeting these people, uh, money people, uh, you know, the, the crew. And so we, it's very enthusiastic uh, for, they are very enthusiastic. I'm, because of my experience, uh, I'm not such a believer in this project, but I would help them uh, any way I can to 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 make this happen. And then is that going to be shot in New York or in? No, California? no, no. It's in Hungary. They want to shoot in. Oh, Hungary. in Hungary. Okay, sorry. Yep. They want to shoot in English in Hungary, which is an interesting idea, kind of hybrid. Because uh, you know, foreign films have amazing uh, success at the Oscars, for example. So, but uh, a foreign film in English, that's a very strange animal because yeah. that those films are, should run among the other uh, English speaking films, which is a much, much bigger market. Anyway, so uh, uh, it's exciting. I'm, I'm feeling uh, the rush without being, uh, feeling the anxiety. They are the producers and uh, I, I, I'm really helping them and hoping that it's going to happen. And hopefully it takes off and everything. It sounds yeah. like an interesting project and an interesting way to situate it too, kind of getting it out there through uh, the back door by uh, doing it in Hungary, but in English. Yeah, yeah, that's, so. that's, a, that's a crucial issue. Yeah, very interesting. Okay, Leza, before we wrap up here, I'd like to ask you just one larger question. 
uh, why make films at all? Why? What is this drive that um, has kept you making films for many years now, for decades? Okay, I, I have two answers. One is personal, which is like uh, I have a very unique life experience. I And I had, uh, I mean, that's one thing, the history of, of my people and uh, my generation. And in that, under the same umbrella, I, I learned how to dramatize stories and how to, how to communicate with people through story and visuals. So that's the first thing, that I'm coming from a special place, I have history, and I have like a, a visual psychologist. I have, I know how to tell stories visually and I know a little bit about human nature. So that's one. And the other thing is that uh, the people in every culture uh, need stories uh, which uh, stories partially Hollywood and uh, other stories they replaced uh, the role of religion mm -hmm. the role of mythology and people cannot live without stories which create community for mm -hmm. them they are they are very lonely, they struggle, and struggling alone is much harder than feeling a, a virtual community. So film, just like uh, social media partially, but film is the main player in this game. And I think that uh, since, uh, you know, religion cannot really uh, have access to all the people uh, uh, that, but, but people need stories and um, and models and uh, learning about uh, uh, suffering uh, in terms of physical suffering and uh, psychological suffering and family and everything. So it. There were there were times when when you know uh, poetry and uh, and novels and uh, and theater plays this role like during the Greeks and other times, but um, today is film is one of the main player to to help uh, uh, human. Uh, the human race to survive. 